everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Laura Gates, who is the founder of The Gates Group. She is an executive coach and advisor to executives at Silicon Valley's top tech companies, including Google and LinkedIn. She has worked with a variety of other organizations in her career, including NASA, Visa, and Stanford University. Thanks so much for joining us today, Laura. Thank you, Matthew. It's great to be here. I'm going to kick us off today with talking about leadership coaching. You have definitely a roster of impressive individuals you have coached and impressive organizations you've worked with along the way. When you start a new coaching relationship, what are you looking to get out of those first few meetings? How do you set a new relationship up for success early on? Mm, that's a great question because in coaching, the relationship is key. It's a it's a very intimate relationship because people are telling you often things they won't tell anybody else. They can't talk to their bosses sometimes, or they are the CEO. So they, they, they're not going to talk about these things with their board or their employees. So it, these are often conversations that are very private and very confidential, and people need to feel safe and comfortable in those conversations. Secondly, people are often led to me by word of mouth referrals. So Already they know something about me uh, more than I know about them sometimes, although I will do my research on every client before I meet with them. And my first question is always, what has brought you to my doorstep? Because typically people have some need that they've found that they want a coach. And so I'm very curious what that need is. And then in the first session, I always ask them, tell me your story. You know, even as an introduction, I'll introduce myself first and I'll go back to you know, I was born in New Jersey and grew up in Syracuse and worked on Wall Street for the first decade of my career. I tell a story and then I ask them to tell me their story, modeling and mirroring my story. And in their story, I learned so much about the choices they've made, the decisions they've made, the steps that they've taken in their career. And that first initial conversation really informs a lot of our work together. One of my favorite questions to ask on the show is a defining moment from our guest's past. Do you have a defining moment when you think about starting your career on Wall Street and now being an executive? Do you have a, a moment where that was the moment where you said, this is what I want to do or something that really influenced the path that, that you ended up taking? Well, you know, when I was in college, uh, getting top grades was not necessarily the priority. And as I was going to graduate, everyone was getting, applying for jobs and submitting resumes. And I'll never forget this woman came and spoke to us and she talked about banking on Wall Street mm -hmm. and how the major banks were hiring women in particular. And it had never occurred to me to work for a bank. I didn't have a math degree. I didn't have, I had a business degree, but mostly in marketing. And that light bulb went off and I ended up working on Wall Street and having an amazing experience. And I just learned from that to really Pay attention to the people who show up unexpectedly. Pay attention to those signs and synchronicities because you never know where the opportunities are going to come from. And my whole life has been like that. Just people show up. I go in a different direction. Things kind of work out. If, it, if they don't, I learn along the way. A lot of the conversations that we have here about evolution and how people have changed over the years, I'd be interested, how do you think you've changed as a leader, specifically maybe given the influence that others, some of your coachy relationships have had on you? It could be a different type of interaction, but do you have somebody or something that has really changed you about how you operate as a leader along the way? 
one thing I've learned is no matter how high level you are and how successful you are, you're still going to have fears and doubts. You're still going to wonder, are you doing the right thing? Are you making the right decisions? And so that has led, led me to feel not so concerned if I have all the answers or if I've got the right degrees, that we're all just kind of trying to figure this out. And that has helped me relax into the experience and enjoy it more. One of the things that you do a lot of work on is about conflict resolution. Um, many organizations have featured what I think you refer to as a seven-step conflict resolution process. Can you talk a little bit about the process and maybe your thoughts more broadly about why conflict resolution is so important? Well, as I like to tell people, I grew up in a family that did not do conflict very well. And so conflict was buried under the surface and not dealt with as in many families. I think we are in a, in general, the United States is a conflict averse culture. There are some cultures that are less conflict averse and some cultures that are much more conflict averse, which also plays into the conflict resolution process, by the way, is when you have multicultural teams, not only with different backgrounds and different relationships towards conflict, but also different social norms towards conflict. That's part of the dynamic when you're trying to get teams to collaborate and build trust and work together better. So for me, having grown up with everyone kind of avoiding conflict and not putting issues on the table and not discussing them directly, it, it's it's almost an impulse for me to be in a team setting and make sure that all of the elephants are dealt with and issues are put on the table because it's almost unbearable to sit in a room knowing that there are issues and they're not getting addressed. One thing that we hear from a lot of listeners, and it goes back to something that you mentioned about early on in the coaching process, what you want to do for those that you coach that are earlier in their career, what sort of advice do you have for those individuals who maybe express to you that they're looking to level up their leadership game? What are some of the things that you find that individuals that are early in their career can do to stand out at an organization or make themselves more effective as a potential future leader at that organization? Well, I'm not going to give tips and tricks on succeed. I mean, yes, you know, get good grades, uh, take every opportunity that comes to you, say yes to everything. But at the same time, you have to realize I encounter people who are who are struggling with burnout or they feel like they've hit some kind of a ceiling. And so my advice is often, you know, the work that I do is to help people find what it, what has meaning and purpose for them what gives them energy versus what drains their energy. You know, I tell people lately, my practice is sort of unhustling and I, I, I'm not saying quiet quitting here. I'm saying noticing where I'm trying to override my body's operating system that says it's time to stop or it's time to rest. And so with my clients, what I've noticed is that if they're following what gives them energy, what has heart and meaning for them, they will succeed far better than people who are just kind of checking off a box of what they think is going to be successful to get, you know, two years at this firm and then two years at that firm. And, you know, I'll be a VP by X number of years. That is a recipe for burnout. 
How do you build the relationship over time? You mentioned a little bit about preparing for that first interaction, but after those first couple of interactions, how do you feel like you can take the relationship to the next level? You're obviously looking to build longstanding relationships and watch people grow and help them on that path. What are you trying to do and call it meetings, I don't know, three, four, and five, based on what you've learned from the first couple of meetings to solidify the relationship? It's interesting because I don't think of it as solidifying the relationship. Really, my main focus is the client and their goals and helping them evolve as humans. And so really, it's driven by them and what their needs are. And my job as a coach is to get myself out of the way, get my ideas and opinions out of the way. And I can tell you, it is a constant practice Hmm. to embrace the client's agenda, whether you agree with it or not, whether you think it's the right way to go or not. That is uh, a constant practice of just allowing them to bring the agenda, them to forge the path. Um, And sometimes that is three sessions and sometimes that's 10 years. It Mm. really depends on the person, what their needs are. Do you, do you feel like most of the individuals that you work with have a very clear idea of what their goals are, or is it more a fact-finding mission that you're trying to get at the, the true heart of why coaching is a good fit for them or would be successful for them? And I, I will use myself as an example. If I got the opportunity to, to be coached by somebody or in the past had a mentor-mentee relationship, sometimes it's really hard to not be very just superficial about what your goals are and get at the, the true heart of the matter. How do you do that when you don't feel like you're getting to the heart of the matter? I love your question because you know I'm saying to you, it's, it's what the client brings to the table, but it is often that people don't know what they need. <laughs> Or they don't know what they want. You know, they think they want something. And that is our job is almost a researcher, fact finder to help you dig into yourself and ask your, you know, to take an honest look at yourself in the mirror and say, well, well, what do I really want? Because we, we want the things we think we should want. And that's something also the fact finding is like, where are you creating all these shoulds for yourself about what you think you should be doing with your career, where you think you should be by now? That, that causes suffering when we, we have these expectations of ourselves that, that aren't in alignment with who we really are or what our path truly is. Hmm. I want to kind of finish up here a little bit talking about your path as an entrepreneur. You mentioned that you had obviously a 10 years at a Wall Street bank that I'm sure was a very somewhat rigid and very defined culture, career path, all of those things with some flexibility. But now you have a very entrepreneurial path. What did you learn along the way about what it takes to be successful as a leader in an entrepreneurial pursuit? Uh, You have to be comfortable with ambiguity. You have to be okay with the ups and downs. Uh, What I have learned is to trust and have faith that maybe things are slow in August, but then September rolls around and already my inbox is starting to fill up again. So really allowing yourself that space and time. Um, I have a high need for autonomy. So I know that about myself that I value autonomy over sort of the steady day-to-day consistent paycheck kind of jobs. Mm. And I've learned that about myself and I've had those. And, and I, and I, I just know that working for myself is, is probably, and, you know, partnering with others, collaborating with others, but going into a nine to five in a company would, 
doesn't doesn't go over well for me. <laughs> I would say one of the questions that we get most frequently, especially for entrepreneurial guests or individuals that are working a little bit outside of maybe standard, call it corporate, corporate America, is how do you organize your day or what do you do to make yourself more effective from a goal setting perspective? Or do you have any tips and tricks to organize things that have made running your own business maybe more successful than it would have been without those those tips or those processes? I, you know, I am a big fan of an article from HBR a while back from Tony Schwartz called Manage Your Energy, Not Your Time. It was a 2006 HBR article. And I follow that a lot. It's what it, because if I try to force myself to say like every morning from eight to 10, I'm going to work on projects and then I'm going to do calls. And so one of the things I've learned is when I have the energy to do things, I do them. And, and when I don't, I don't force myself. And usually the energy will come around to, to go after things. The other thing is I surround myself with really good people. So I have uh, several virtual assistants that I work with. I have colleagues that I work with. I have found ways to hack into my personal life to make that less stressful and better run. So one of the things that I have found the most useful is a book by Gay Hendricks uh, based on his concept of the zone of genius. Hmm. And, I, and I coach my clients on this all the time. If you can dial into and operate uh, in the space of your zone of genius and delegate and outsource everything else beyond that, then you're really working in the speed, sweet spot. You're spending your time in that place and uh, things seem to flow better. Hmm. What are you the most proud of along the way in when you've been, uh, you know, had some very successful coaching relationships? What are you the most proud of? Is it a specific breakthrough that you've had, obviously without sharing any of the details there, but, or is it something that your organization has accomplished that maybe when you started out on this journey, you didn't think was possible? What are you the most proud of? I, and I say this with no hokiness, I'm, I'm proud of my clients. I work with people who just do amazing things every day. And in particular things that I think are going to be helpful and are helpful to the planet and the people on it. And that there, you know, it's easy for me to coach people. They actually have to go do the work and make it happen. Hmm. Um, as a final question, before we go to the rapid fire questions, how do the relationships end? Like, what is the final, is it just, they make a decision that coaching is, you know, they've, they've gotten what they want out of it. How, how does that conversation go at the end? Well, some of the clients I work with, they have specific end dates. So okay. let's say they have a six month or a nine month contract. And, and typically that's, then that's the end date. Uh, but I also tend to get a feeling with people, even before the end, I'll get a sense of that the assignment has come to a close. Mm. Now, as I said, some people I'm coaching 10, 15 years. So that assignment is like an open-ended assignment, but they <laughs> might come back and say, Hey, I'm now the CEO of this company. Can you help me turn around this company? So they, they I see the cycles in, in when people need me. And I'm also better at closing and saying, you know, I think it's time for you to go off on your own for a while. And that's that's hard because I don't want to create dependency. I want to create independence with clients. Mm. Well, creating independence and, and hearing that process uh, was definitely a, an interesting answer. And I really appreciated it. And it's a wonderful spot to kind of shift our conversation to our final rapid fire questions that I get to ask all of our guests. And the first one is this. 
if you could describe your leadership style in just one word, what would that word be? Authentic. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Oscar Wilde, be yourself, everybody else is already taken. Being yourself is a wonderful spot to close this out. Thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Uh, my website's gatesgroupllc.com and uh, I'm on LinkedIn every day. So great Perfect. place to connect with me. Well, Under thank Laura you. Gates. Thank you for all of the great insight and thanks to all of our wonderful listeners as always for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Ability Sims, and you can find our organization at ability.com. I want to thank Laura again for joining us on this episode. And of course, I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast. This podcast is produced by Ability, a leading provider of award-winning leadership development. You can find us at www.ability.com or by searching for Ability Leadership Development. Make sure to also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini MBA, The Invited MBA, a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. Find more information at www.invitedmba.com. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. We want to thank you all for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.